0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season seven, episode one. We're going to be talking to John Tyson today, but oh my goodness, there's lots to catch you up on in the meantime. So let's start there. Um, The whole season, season seven, If there was a theme, which there isn't an official theme, I would call this season the world's on fire. And so what do we do now? (laughs) I don't know about you. I don't know how you're feeling uh, exactly, but everyone I have been talking to is feeling, whether it's your own life, there are things in your life that... Feel on fire, or feel like they're falling apart. Um, feel like you're losing your footing on what was before, or I mean, just just looking at the world around you. Um, you know, even just like most recently with all the climate change talks that have been in the news, realizing quite literally the world is in a precarious place, and um, there is lots of work for us to do, and there's lots of creative solutions and ways to communicate the hope of Jesus in our context, that has always been true. I'm continuing to be sure of that in the midst of lots of things that are uh, just unstable right now. So, hey, some updates from Word Made Digital Land. I did a whole episode about this. Maybe uh, if you're interested, let me know. Happy to do kind of like a bonus episode if you want to hear what's going on in the world of Word Made Digital. Like, what are we working on? What are we excited about? What are we seeing? What's the temperature right now um, in the world and in the projects we're working on? But uh, we are officially incorporating as Word Made Digital. That probably doesn't mean too much to you uh, other than the big idea behind that is growth. Uh, it's a long time coming. We should have incorporated a long time ago. My accountant said so, but hey, we're incorporating Word Made Digital Inc. And it's a sort of a sign of growth as we're just trusting what the Lord is doing um, with this, through this, as we want to serve as many churches and leaders, uh, communicators and creatives as we as we can. Um, another marker of that is we have uh, had lots of, you know, part-time people, part of where Made Digital beside me. It's my full-time world. Uh, but we have our first official full-time person joining us this month of November, 2021. So that feels really momentous. There's still a bunch of part-time people doing projects with us, like even things like this podcast, uh, but full-time person. I uh, I won't say much more about that now. I think. Uh, check social media or, you know, you can check other places to, if you want to get to know them, we're going to make sure you do get to know them into the future and hopefully you'll be hearing their voice and stuff soon. So today on the podcast, this new season, we're launching with John Tyson. You probably know John Tyson, uh, in the world, you probably know him as someone who's been a guest on this podcast before, and he had a new book coming out and you know, he wanted to jump on the podcast again, which is great. Cause he's a busy guy. He's from church of the city of New York, author, speaker, pastor, but, but I think most significantly a prophetic voice to, um, to the Western church, Um, He's talking about discipleship in the digital age. He's talking about the breakdown of relationship. In this episode too, we talk a little bit about men and fathers. That's sort of the theme out of his book, Uh, talking about how do we disciple men into, um, well, you know, men who love Jesus and love the church. Um, So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Also because he's a New York City guy. So post-COVID lockdown church life, how has the church changed? The city has um, radically changed there. And we're going to dive into how that has felt for his church community, for him as a leader in this world on fire. The sponsors this season, oh my goodness, Compassion Canada back again, an amazing organization, just people who are doing justice work in the world, J- poverty work, uh, you know, poverty, fighting poverty, not creating poverty, um, you know, and they're working against things like climate change in the places it's it's um, affecting people most, is in they're trying to give opportunities, education, sustainability uh, to people around the world. They do that through the local church. More on them later. Uh, the Church Co. is a new sponsor coming on for this season. We couldn't do it without uh, these amazing sponsors. And I'm really pumped about the Church Co. Again, I'll tell you more about them all through the season. But this is a website building company uh, which makes that sound like very simple, but actually I think what they're doing is quite amazing. You've got to hear more about it. I have used them. I recommend them all the time. So it's just a really natural partnership for them to come on board with Made Digital for the season because I already want to talk about them all the time. So it's really fun that they want to partner with the podcast for the season. So, hey, you know, as always, we have a YouTube channel and a website full of tutorials for you to help help you. we got a back catalog now of six C, Of the podcast, and there's going to be episodes you haven't listened to with people you love and may want to lean into in this time. We'd love to see you on the Digital Church Facebook group. Things are growing, happening, and we're going to try and serve you well into the next year. We have some things coming up we'll start talking to you about. But for now, here is the conversation with John Tyson. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 7. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. John Tyson, welcome or welcome back to Word Made Digital. I'm glad to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much. It's great to be with you to talk about all things digital and also dogs. I'm loving this so far.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, dogs and needy dogs, dogs that are humanized. I'm sure yes. we could probably have a whole podcast just talking about. Um, I mean, even in the in the context of your intentional father book, like what does it mean when people have dogs that are like their children, and they call themselves a dog dad or a dog mom? You know, they don't want to have real kids. Uh, they they, they have, are
1: real kids. Please stop the discrimination.
0: <laughs> well, I'm learning this with a sick dog here in my house today. You uh, you go through a probably like similar feelings of like helplessness. You want to help this poor little person who you don't know what's wrong. And and, and maybe in Canada, the difference is in Canada. We have free health care for humans, but dogs cost a lot of money when they get sick.
1: <laughs> well, in New York City, there's no free health care and dogs cost just as much money when they're sick. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, hey, let's let's start here. How's New York? Um, you know, the big question maybe is like, is New York dead? What's the new post-COVID New York like? Give us a scenario. Well, g- give us a lay of the land there.
1: Yes. I mean, half an hour ago, I was in Harlem, and now I'm in Hell's Kitchen in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. Um, new York is back. New York mm-hmm. is back. Um, I think foot traffic is still down like 60% in the tourist areas, but... Um, it's back i mean i don't know what it's like in canada they require vaccinations to participate in the new york city social contract right now so i i was uh, I was in starbucks don't judge me it was too early there was no good coffee shops open <laughs> and um in order to stay in the shop and drink my coffee i had to show proof of vaccination and my id that matched my card yeah so that's what to drink coffee that's where it's at so i think it's that's maybe it's the same
0: here it's the same in yeah. our area right now as well yeah
1: so, yeah, it's it's like there's lots of people everywhere. The weather is just spectacular right now, perfect fall weather, um, almost peak foliage. So it, the city feels in many ways like it's coming back, I think. Mm-hmm. The schools are back in. Uh, there's still lots of closed stores, which is sad. I I just walked past maybe six or seven closed shops on one block. There's still a lot of restaurants that are closed with the pandemic and aren't opening back, but psychologically New York is back.
0: And, and when you back. say... We back. Would you say from, uh, well, even, you know, the anecdotal evidence in my own city, largest city in Canada, most exp- usually mm. rated the most expensive city to live in. We we in Vancouver fight for who, you know, who's yes. going to cost the most. But uh, yes. <laughs> um, anecdotally, the uh, the cost of rents have gone way, way oh. up where a year ago you could mm. get a really good deal on an apartment. And now it's, you know, bidding wars to get a crappy little place.
1: One hundred percent. It's fully back. Real estate market is t- has totally recovered. Turn, so the rental s- market has, yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you say um, you know maybe this is again like the the microcosm of your own community, your own church people? Uh, is it the same people, or did people leave but others have replaced them? As in, some have left and new people have come?
1: Um, so we are. We're doing. We're back in person. We have been for a few months. We have four Sunday services, and we're at fifty percent. Attendance of what we were pre-COVID. So our church is half the size, mm. which is pretty crazy. Um, and I think 70% of the people I would say I've never seen in my life, like who are these people? Huh?
0: Oh, interesting. And, uh, the,
1: everybody I know in New York saying that, it's like, wow, you know, we've got so many new people. New York on its best day is a radically transient city. I mean, people are going all the time. They're coming, yeah. they're going, they're coming, they're going. I think the saddest thing is so many people left and never told me. Like people didn't communicate their plans. And Mm. I put that on Twitter and a bunch of people bashed it. Like, well, you should know the the size of your flock. I'm like, you know, if you've got a church of 80, I appreciate that sentiment. That's not our situation. It's hard to know. So you're relying on community group leaders and layers of leadership. And our leaders are like saying the same thing. It's like, no, we didn't. People, you know, we just had some... in, In conservative parts of the US... People leave churches if you have to wear a mask. I've got people leaving church because we won't require vaccination. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like we're so on the opposite side of it. Though it's a lot of new people. Um, You know, my wife and I have just been saying to each other, there's so many new young folks to invest in with vision and faith. They're not jaded. They're not cynical. They're hungry. They're excited to be in New York. And we don't have the luxury in our leadership of letting our personal season dictate the needs of our people. So, um yeah, trying to trying to have enough in our tank to care and rebuild has been a challenge, but I think like we're doing pretty well all things considered.
0: Well, how do you let's let's talk about that for a minute because the tone all over even just today, you know, Jenny Allen I saw her posting, you know, she's hearing in her circles like she posted something about leaders we want we, a lot of us feel like quitting we're tired we're burnt out we're frustrated you know it's whether you require vaccines or don't people are going to hate you i mean like no matter where you fall on all of these issues uh, people are you're going to be mad at you worn down just uh <laughs> yeah so so where what what's the resilience then that you know keeps you I'm going I'm great
1: i'm embarrassed yeah. about how well i'm doing
0: huh you know wow. i
1: Tim Keller said something at the start of the pandemic, which I just, I, I think about every day. He said, when Christians have a heroic response in crises, like we're at our best, you know, like the world has proved it's inefficient to love, serve and care. We, here we come, you know, we're sharing our stuff and we're, he said, when 9-11 happened, all the people about 18 months later, all the people that had that initial heroic response were basically just burned out and they all left. Mm. And so he was like, you got to play the long game. And so I consciously played the long game. You know, I, I gave a vision talk at the start of 2021 to our uh, church. It was called Cause for, Conf- for Confidence. And it was out of, out of the book of Jeremiah where God says, Cursed are those who rely on the flesh, but those who trust in me. There, it actually, says those whose confidence is in me. Would be like a tree planted by a river, and it's just it's some one-ish, but it's just this whole thing on you can choose the season of your soul, even if you can't choose your circumstances. Mm. You know, I mean, Dallas Willard talks about managing consciousness as the chief task of the Christian life, which is basically where we give our attention to what we allow into our inner world. So I spent a life, spent a lot of time, close to two hours a day consciously trying to enjoy God and tend to my heart just peace. what does that look
0: like can you give us like a, oh, it's, not, it's not me- that it's meditating. prescriptive but yeah tell, what yeah, is that yeah, meditating of of through small
1: sex meditation reading beautiful literature poetry nature joy um yeah like tending to the heart and Filling it with beauty in the midst of all the brokenness, and doing things I love, and giving yourself permission to not be overwhelmed by every crisis for the moment. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. about, you know, not will I get through this, but how will I rebuild? That my whole time was not how do I get through this. It was how do I have enough energy to rebuild when we do get through it, and then how do I be here with a full heart five to ten years from now? So if your thinking's like that, you, the way you respond to things in the moment is very very measured, and I'm sure there's people who said. Uh, you, John, you underled. You didn't show enough empathy, but they're gone and I'm still here. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's kind of like, you know, I'm trying, maybe I underled in the moment, but it's going to prove hopefully to 10 more years of faithful leadership. Maybe I didn't have enough empathy in the moment, but I didn't burn my heart out and I'm not bitter. I'm still here with compassion and love. And the fundamental task of all leadership is leading yourself. No one else will lead you for you. Your responsibility is the condition of your heart. Then I think, you know, I may even sound kind of harsh when I'm saying it. This is just like what my mentors beat into me, my coaches. You know, my, my, one of my coaches said to me is like, hey, like if, if this, what if this is the start of the pandemic and not the end of it? Like, do you have capacity to lead through this for another three years? Like, what are you doing in terms of your habits and your heart to produce the kind of fruit that could say, three more years of this, no problem, we'll be here. So, just I think I've got, I'm grateful to have so many voices speaking into me that are like highlighting that, you know. And, you know, your, your sweet little dog is an example. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Mm, if right? you don't have your heart, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how physically fit you are, how much money's in the bank. Like, if you lose your will to lead and follow Jesus, it's challenging so yeah i mean i haven't always done it right but i have prioritized like rhythms of renewal like you know sabbath you know like what i call the window of wonder i know it's kind of cheesy but i did it with my daughter the window of wonder every day where you consciously seek to cultivate love in your heart soul mind and strength Hmm. so mine is 30 minutes per quadrant of joy
0: Hmm. um out yeah. of curiosity, is your Instagram part of this? Because if people follow you on, on Instagram, they'll see uh, you post a lot of just, I would call it photojournalistic style imagery of your own city, artistic, no, you're noticing these little things around your mm. city and posting them. Is that is that a spiritual exercise for you? I, I'm oh, curious about how yeah, you no,
1: approach 100, that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm I'm not... Well, number one, Instagram was designed for photo sharing. People forget that now well, it's that's like not what Instagram
0: a, says anymore. Now I they say they a just, video app. I know. Say.
1: They've just pivoted. <laughs> they've pivoted because of economics and competition. TikTok's yeah. eating. You know, they ate Snapchat up and then TikTok ate up Instagram. Yeah. The future is TikTok. Um, <laughs> so, no, no, yeah, it's like definitely it's like I want to walk through the city slowly. I want to see people. I want to pay attention to beauty, to small things, to details. Um, in every photo that I post, there's some small detail you're not paying attention to. It's not mm. the person or the big thing. There's something else happening in there. Almost like a, like a, um, where's Waldo? There's a, where's Waldo in all those pics. Um, well,
0: it sounds like a parable. Like you're trying to get people to look and listen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's Beekner. I mean, he says, what is art doing? Art is saying, stop, pay attention. When you put a frame around something, you can take most art outside of a gallery and put it on the sidewalk and you walk past it without even turning your head. But when you put a frame around it, you say, see, here, listen. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to see God. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to pay attention. I pray for all those people that I post. I try to imagine their whole story like, gosh, how did they get here? Where are they going tonight? What are their dreams? When they lay in bed at night and they're haunted by stuff, what is it? And honestly, it makes me love New York.
0: Huh.
1: There's a there's um yeah there's a, a philosopher uh, sorry there's a, a painter, and his his whole sort of philosophy of painting was contrasting the burden of the individual against the city, and I've always mm-hmm. sort of like loved that and adopted that as like, in one of the most densely populated cities on planet Earth, how do I isolate the individual story against the enormity of the background of the city itself, either a street or a skyscraper or vehicles or whatever that makes you you know behold the person in the midst of the background hmm. so it's rarely just like mass crowd shots you know yeah, yeah anyway I love that. whatever I love it it is it's it's uh, therapeutic
0: well I'll say that I mean at the very least speaking of my for myself I appreciate it um, it makes sometimes there's it really makes me pause actually what you're posting hmm. not always you know because we're all busy hmm. but if I have a moment yeah, sometimes I'm'm I'm, I'm drawn in by what you're posting and hmm. it's it's sometimes because I live in a similar urban environment, mm, uh, yeah. what am I seeing, or what would if I were to take a photo today, like John took a photo? What would I have taken a photo of, or what will I take a photo of? Um, whether I literally well, do or not, it's an interesting practice of of looking.
1: Yes. So this, so it actually came from. There was a um, there was a book called. Focal practices. And it basically says in the modern world, we have to do practices that demand our presence. Mm-hmm. Living into Focus is the name of the book. And it's like, how do we do these things called focal practices? And he says, you must engage in practices that you cannot be in control of. And so he actually advocates the number one practice as a bird watching. And I was like... I thought oh, you were going to say, try. like,
0: take some drugs or something. No, no. For, well, <laughs>
1: for uh,
0: hallucinogens. <laughs>
1: No, but, but someone said to me, hey, John, you're, you are so fast paced that the rate at which you move through the world is violent hmm. and you've got to slow down and you need, you need a focal practice to enable you to do it. And he said, you should try photography. It'll make you pay attention. Hmm. And I got into it. My daughter um, really got into it. And um, now, yeah, now that's my goal is to pay attention. If you look at Edward Hopper's work, And you know he a lot of his stuff was done post World War Two. I think his best work was done post World War Two, and he's basically dealing with that post-war angst. And it is a bunch of. And he was like very unhappy in his marriage as well, sadly. But a lot of his like finding the individual and then paying attention to them and making you ponder. And it and so. That's that's a huge part of it. The other thing that you know Keller said to me in the early days here in New York was, "Is like you'll be surrounded by so much brokenness, you've got to fill your heart with beauty." That's a discipline. And so, yeah. what I'm honestly trying to do, like, do I have a goal in uh, Instagram? A goal? I no, but I do hope to trickle and drop little bits of beauty into people's day, where they're like, "Oh man, that was," you know, "I, mm. I, I saw some somebody die. I saw violence. I saw war." Yeah, but I saw, like, the image of God in a person on the street. You know? So I'm, I'm trying to do a little mini-war in your feed for beauty.
0: Okay, my friends, Christmas music. What is the rule in your house? What is the rule in your family? Like, for some people, November 1st hits Christmas music right away. And for others... Talking around the idea of sort of your own formation, your own spiritual um, disciplines, Um, and, and you're sort of nuancing how you're doing that in others. But I'd love to get more specific with you for a few minutes if we can, because I want to get some insight into what does discipleship look like for for your community or maybe the few guys or girls you're directly discipling. Um, how are you passing this stuff off to others? Because I think, um, usually, (laughs) uh, Christians struggle with discipleship because I think honestly, a lot of us haven't been discipled well, so we don't know how to disciple other people. Well, I'm really grateful. I had really formative discipleship in my, um, particularly through intervarsity at the time, uh, through Mm. my university college years was hugely Mm. formative for me. As I was discipled, I feel more richly able to give it to others. So um, can you give us some some flags in the ground or some things you're doing for discipleship?
1: Well, I mean, so I'm not looking for bonus points. Today's my birthday, okay? It It is? So they just... Like they just did this sort of staff thing where the staff go around the room. and Well, number one, you need to know my cake was a tray of cookies. There's a a lot there. (laughs) Um, But um, the best cookies in New York from Culture Espresso. Amazing. But um, like people went around the word and they were were like, well, like what's one thing that like people have sort of taken from you? Like what's like a cherished memory over the course of the year? And I I tell you what, there's – Everybody had two great themes and it was like, it was so like encouraging to be honest with you. Um And, you know, people are always saying nice things, so they're digging deep and blah, blah, blah. But there was two dominant themes and they were, I'm constantly amazed at your capacity to find and share joy. And it has changed the way I view life. Hmm. And then secondly, like your hunger for God and you somehow have managed this like passionate intensity for God and childlike wonder about life itself, and those are the like my life is different because of these things. These things are in my life now because of you. So, gosh, if it's more is caught than taught, and then so you know, people will, like give me some specific. Like they were like, well, share some of your favorite memories of this. Yeah, and people would be like, "Hey, it was the small thing. It was like when we were driving in the car and we were we were watching a documentary and and you pointed this out, or it's like you you stopped a song and then you replayed the chorus and explained why musically it was beautiful and you know." So I guess I'm I'm trying to spend time with people and I'm trying to Paul says, you know, like he said he talks about you like you, you you know my belief, but he says you know my way of life. Paul mm-hmm. says that to the philippians by way of life and i think i'm trying to impart a way of life i'm always trying to bring things together that normally repel each other in christianity you know i'm trying to bring you know the contemplative and charismatic um the missional and the monastic i'm trying to like i'm trying to like merge all of this stuff together because the beauty is on both sides of it really i mean so yeah i mean i mean our church is three pillars, three pillars that everything's built around we're trying to make missional disciples for the renewal of secular culture. It's our mission. And we're built on three pillars tangible presence, counterformation, sacrificial mission.
0: Mm. We
1: think like living in the presence of God and awareness of the presence of God. It's why you were created, it's where you are headed. It is the thing that marks us out as distinct from all the other people on earth. God is with us. And then counterformation, which means we're moving out of the way of the world into the way of Jesus. So our deepest truest self is like thinking, loving and becoming more like Christ. And then we're moving out, stewarding what God's done in our lives for the sake of others. And I think all of our discipleship is built on those things, you know, so each staff person would be working through like how am I finding and encountering the presence of God? And then, you know, where am I like Jesus? Discipleship begins in the place of confrontation. Where am I not like Jesus? That's where I start. And then like what's the thing that God's given me and how am I stewarding that in the city and I think those are the three things we talk around program around keep each other accountable around and so you you should be able to talk to any of my staff and get an answer from the question of what's God doing in your life right now, you should get an answer for like what is God working on in your character, your formation right now and you should be able to get an answer, here's where I'm engaged in renewing the city sacrificially so yeah, it's like a constant, simple answer, and you know, it's like, it's one-on-one. It's the culture we create. It's the things we emphasize. It's what we talk about in retreats. It's some of the stuff yeah. we try and measure. Yes, yeah, those stuff.
0: So inevitably, on a word made digital podcast, we've got to talk digital, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. digital discipleship. I'm curious. Yes. Uh, if you think those are. Uh, can those words coexist, discipleship and digital? Um, and particularly um, curious about this, uh, you and Tyler Priebe, another friend of mine, Missional Life, the Missional Life course. Um, yes. This sort of digital uh, learning, anyways, opening up that. I'd love to to get your latest thinking on this, especially in this you know post COVID hybrid life we're living. Mm-hmm.
1: So, do you have a copy of the Mission or Life course? I'd be so no, happy to send I, it, I it to you. I don't. I don't have it. Email me. I'll send it. I'll send okay, it to you sure. after this. Yep. And you can see what we're trying to do with it. Look, the future is the future is not your phone. The future is augmented reality. That's the next leap. It is. It's mapping space, and it's going to go from looking at a screen into our hands to looking through the lenses on our face. It's the, That is the future. I have no doubt. The future is augmented reality. Um, You can hate that. You can yell at the tide, but the sea will come in. Mm. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we formed by the inevitable things our culture does to it? And to what degree do we engage, participate, resist? You know, a nuanced response. But I simply say, if you're not doing discipleship with a cell phone in mind right now, you are literally making discipleship in another era of history. Like my wife and I had honestly almost a three-hour discussion about this on the couch last night. We were like, okay, you know, we're in our 40s. I guess the old Gen X millennial boomer model was let's build a church around our personalities as senior pastors and our teaching. And both of us are kind of like, I could not give less of a crap about that if I tried.
0: (laughs) Say it again. What was the old model? It uh, was around the personalities
1: yeah, and preaching of the and senior leaders. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, I want to be a, tr- a wise, trusted voice in Christianity. I mean, like, I I, I want to be helpful, um, but I want to equip the next generation. I think where most people go wrong is they like wait, they wait ten to fifteen years too late. By the time they hand it on, nobody wants it. Because they didn't get to shape it and it doesn't match the future they're trying to create. So I say all that to say a whole discussion was on like if we're not doing... And this was our whole discussion was around software and hardware. And discipleship is software and hardware. The hardware is the local communities. And I'm very agnostic on that. And what I mean by this is like, hey, mega church, small church, house church, network church, congregational church, Presbyterian, whatever. make Make your convictions... Work locally, but the software piece is the piece, and/or apps that work on anybody's system that Mm. is going to be a huge part of discipleship. It's got downsides, which means that um, people can be consumptive of the disproportionate amount of available content, but it has an upside, which means you're not limited to the skills or maturity of your local leader. So, again, I think it gets down to the vision of being a spiritual parent tutors are worried about other tutors stealing their students that's an insecure pastor don't listen to them you're gonna to listen to me fathers and mothers care about raising their kids to maturity so they will take the best tutors possible to help their kids and i think the future is probably going to be leaders curating the best voices that supplement their own local gifts and finding ways to have a hybrid of of live relationships and digital content merged together, and I and I honestly can't wait to see how that works out through our smart glasses or whatever they end up being.
0: Well, you and I already wear glasses, so uh, yes, we're we're ahead of the game. We're already used to it. Have you tried yes. them, by the way, as a sidebar? Have you tried the Google Glass or the uh, fa- no, is it the um, Facebook thing with the video camera yeah, that just yeah, came yeah, out yeah. within yes. the last couple of weeks?
1: Um yeah, no I tried the snap glasses.
0: Oh yeah.
1: You know snap-on glasses?
0: Yes. Yeah. I haven't um, tried I've, any of them but I'm curious about it. <laughs> uh,
1: no, so let me tell you, let me tell you. Um they will be the best thing and the worst thing. Hmm. They they will they will be such a gift and a complete and utter distraction. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, like all things, it's like user beware and have caution. And, and again, it's the formative power. The question of formation is always who am I becoming by what I'm doing? And so like, like putting something in front of my eyes that literally changes reality as I perceive it. It's going to shape me for good and for bad. Um, you know, I mean, you think, I, I think it's augmented reality. Virtual reality is probably a little too dystopian for the immediate future. But like virtual reality may be disproportionately toxic, Hmm. you know. Like I I heard an interview, um, I'm writing a book on sex called Controversial Sex. And so I'm, I'm researching the chapter of pornography on pornography, which is like sort of a hard thing to say. I'm researching pornography. I have all the porn filters on all my devices and all the accountability so I just need to put that out there. I have not looked at any pornography in my researching of pornography. <laughs> but
0: but I, I'm, I'm I lo- smiling because you know it's like how do you look it up without finding what you didn't want to find? <laughs> yes, that sounds like a well, hard I'm, Google search to do.
1: you <laughs> can't. I mean, you. I mean, anyway. Yeah, yes, yeah, it, yeah. it's a challenge. So I'm not looking for <laughs> pornography. I'm looking for a philosophy sure. of pornography. Mm-hmm. So I, I read an interview about a porn creator talking about what augmented reality is going to do to porn, how you can literally be in the room where the orgy is happening. Wow. And I was just like, oh gosh, what this is going to do Mm. to kids? Like what this is going to do? I mean, and I was actually trying to think, well, like, what's the positive godly formation you can pretend to be in a Bible scene? Like I was trying to think, like what you're the, in the
0: chosen movie now, <laughs> or yeah, the TV show? True. You've joined the cast, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, but on the theme of you know, sorry, on the theme of technology, it's like we've got to go where the people are. I'm more convinced than ever that we have to be, you know. I and, and again, this is not my calling, but I'm like I want to find a hundred TikTok evangelists and fund them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's where young people are. And I don't want to, I want to take the message to them in godly and redemptive ways. So here's a cool story. We had a a girl, this is what our youth leader told us. We had a girl show up at our church who said, I became a Christian watching TikTok and I Googled your church and it's the closest church. And can you help me follow Jesus? Wow. So like, like, I, I think everybody who's opposed to technology should sit with that for a moment and realize the possibilities of that.
0: Well, you're, you're, you've mentioned Keller a few times. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. The it was not a Christian wedding, just a mm-hmm. regular wedding, <laughs> whatever that yes. means. And uh, the MC referenced Tim Keller's book on marriage, so my ears perk mm. up. I go speak to him, and long story short, he he was a uh, strong atheist, realized like advocating for this way of life, mm. realized there were cracks in his thinking didn't like that went to youtube and he basically said to me at the wedding i this is a 35 year old guy in the last few years he basically became a christian on youtube Mm. watching people like tim keller and Mm. um learning from them and now he he's brought his family to a local church in their area and you know the story continues um Mm. But the story is so normal now. Uh, I think we need to tell them more and more these kinds of stories. The ti- I mean, I love that TikTok story. Um, I mean, we we want to get to your book, or at least you know your reference. Your art. I know you the, the book cycles go. You're working on the next book. Well, I still want to talk to you about the book <laughs> that I have in my hands, The Intentional Father. Um yeah practical guide to raise sons of courage and character so we're talking around you've already brought those themes up you're talking about what it means to be a mother or a father in the church who's looking for the best people our best tutors yeah. for their kids not a mm-hmm. person who's trying to you know be some sort of cult leader who keeps them all to themselves and you're talking about themes of discipleship talking about the next generation so we've we've moved around these themes but to be more specific. Uh, I know you've done a lot of research with Barna. Any any stats that you want to bring up to the surface for us around just like what is going on for maybe specifically young men? I mean, even you've just mentioned the issues of pornography. Um, what are some highlight stats that have caused you to want to write this kind of a book?
1: Well, primarily I write this book because I love my son. That's it. I I had a son, I have a son, he's 21, his name's Nathan. And I just love him. I mean, I just, I wanted to give my son what I didn't have. I wanted to help prepare him for the complexities of this crazy world and help him navigate like those wild, confusing teenage years. So I just basically designed a thing for my son based on a bunch Mm. of, you know basically anthropological research really i mean like like, where's the path like we're we're missing something i feel it intuitively all of my friends feel it like i'm missing it and um did a bunch of research and realized well the the reason you're missing it is because it's missing you know like that deep in, in like internal archetypal longing and it's that's there for a reason.
0: And you say that it's so, yeah. missing, you mean like a, like the rites of passage, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. path so, to so, becoming an adult in your society, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, James Hollis is a Jungian psychologist who's sort of one of the Rollheiser raw sourced guys. Says all societies have had a recognized universal six-step process of forming young people into adults. Number step one, separation from the childhood environment. Number two, um, like death of childhood and initiation into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Number three, process of formation focuses on three areas. Number one, um, the community's story, so they have a sense of belonging and history. The community's religion, so they have a sense of the transcendent. And then the roles required to help the community thrive. Then after that happens, they're sent into what's called the ordeal where they're pushed out often on their own for extended periods of time in nature to see whether or not they actually have learned these things and can depend on themselves. It's where confidence comes from in young people. Then they're recognized by the community and honored and then they're reintegrated into society to participate and give leadership. Wow. So that is like everybody did that but us. And so we even look at the, the fragments of formation. The Typical kid today finds out about sex by Googling porn. Um, their lives are very fragmented between church, work, school, play, travel, sports. People have gone all over the time. There's no narrative. There's very rarely a sense of history. We don't live near often the places we grew up or extended family. We leave the home. You know, we don't know when we're adults. We're never tested. Um, and then you know other institutions like Vi for our hearts i dropped my daughter at school lee university i'm so happy to be sending my money there um wonderful <laughs> school man they did it they did it so well i mean wow standing ovation but they used a phrase i was uncomfortable with you're now a part of the lee family these language like lee will always be home and they talk huh. about the phrase, it's homecoming. And I was like, oh, it's sad that for most people, their deepest roots will not be in their families. They'll be in another institution. And it's, it's not bad. They, they did an excellent job. In fact, it made me want to finish my doctorate and become a professor in a college and shape a generation. It was so good. <laughs> but I was like, oh, gosh. And then I was reading Beekner on the longing for home. And I was like, how many of us deeply in our spirits... When we, when we reach out for that place of nurture and security and nostalgia, actually think of our families and our communities, and it's like almost none. And the, so, so you go, oh, well, is that bad? What's the consequences of that? Well, researchers at NYU showed that heli- helicopter parenting, which is really the end of sort of even existing rites of passage in modern society, ended at about 1990. Helicopter praying started at 1990. This is when like the conscious break happened in American culture. And within one generation the rates of anxiety the the rates of anxiety and depression increased by over 80% in one generation. Mm. Because young people are now wandering around the wilderness of their experience. They don't know what to do with these energies that are very complex and confusing. Erotic energy, comparative energy, vocational energy. You know, trying to figure out who they're meant to be and how to do it. They've got a profound sense of ethical questioning intention and, and they're pushing boundaries. And, and if no one guides them, they try and self initiate and it's often chaotic and filled with regret. So it's no wonder then you've got people absolutely. And then on top of that, now what we're dealing with is we say to people, there is no path you get to invent and be whoever you want and you want to talk about a crushing existential burden you don't have to just choose your job you have to choose your gender your identity i mean it's it's mm. it's an overwhelming burden that our society is putting on young people in an attempt to liberate them and all it's doing is crushing a generation with anxiety
0: wow yeah i mean that's it's the it's Parali- heavy, sorry. The choice paralysis. <laughs> and no, I mean, yes. uh, uh, my mom, I think of her as a woman who she would often say she had three choices of what she could be, a nurse, a doctor, uh, sorry, no, a nurse, a teacher, or a secretary. Those were the three choices. Mm-hmm. And she and her two sisters, like they all, her and her sisters, they all chose one of those as their well, academic pursuit and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so she's, of course, grateful that I have more opportunity um, than what was sort of obviously available to her in the '60s, but um, but at the same time, I I can resonate even with my own. Uh, it wasn't. It's long enough ago now. I'm in my 30s, but not so long ago that I had to make those kinds of major decisions. Of you know, you can be anything, and then of course people realize now you can't be anything. <laughs> You're actually very bad at most things. <laughs> you shouldn't yes, do most things. Yes, we are.
1: Things. We are way. <laughs> We are hardwired a lot. Yeah. We, we, you know, I mean, you can try and do anything. That's called an exercise in futility. Or you can try and figure out who am I made to be? Is there a divine design to my life? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, as followers of Jesus, you find actually Christianity, when practiced properly, is like a pathway to liberation and freedom, not slavery and oppression. Mm. You know, yeah. you get this profound sense of this is who I am. I was made for this. I've designed this way. There's a purpose behind me. You know, the old classic, uh, you're the palm of God. You're God's handiwork created in advance for good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. And then it shifts from the, the existential dread of like inventing yourself to actually discovering the beautiful person God made you to be and the good things he has prepared for you to walk in. That's a little bit more of an adventure. It can still be overwhelming can still uh, induce some anxiety. But knowing you're here on purpose and there's a thing designed for you to walk in, even if the path is unclear, it's good to know there is one.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Quick break here because I am so pumped to tell you about The Church Go. This episode is brought to you by The Church Go. If you don't know The Church Go, you have to check them out. I've been talking about them for a number of years now. have a team of web designers who will build you a website at no additional charge you now you might already have a website but honestly their sites they look good if not better than the sites that cost thousands of dollars and and they have unique features that a lot of church websites don't have like church online cms integrations digital prayer small groups events sermons It's not as fashionable to talk, like the hashtag adulting, right? I mean, it was trending much more a few years back. But this idea of what it means to do it, you know, people would post their, I don't know, paying their bills and saying hashtag adulting. But it was this, it's this meandering that people feel, I think, into their 30s now about, am I an adult? Uh, I don't feel like an adult. I still am trying to cling to my childhood Lifestyle. I've seen even friends into their 40s. The financial decisions they're making are like their 21-year-old dude who's going to the bar every night still, and not like a responsible adult, (laughs) you know whatever that means. Like it's it's yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation that you're you're um, kind of raising the alarm bells around in in culture and for the church.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, you know, so talking about. Canada's most famous maybe hated and loved controversial philosopher Jordan Peterson.
0: Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Justin Bieber.
1: <laughs> I'm a believer, so don't talk about him with disrespect. You know
0: please. the philosophy of Bieber. <laughs> I, I mean, because he had like a very troubled, you know, move yes, into adulthood.
1: No. <laughs> this like like so ev- ev- all the liberals um, like they they can't stand Jordan Peterson, mm. but the question we have to ask is like, why does Jordan Peterson exist? And,
0: like, and he why doesn't is he exist. So popular? Yeah.
1: yeah, and he, he's not here to defend the patriarchy as such. I don't think. Um, he he raises a question society is unwilling to talk about, and it's this: it's meaning comes from the acceptance of responsibility. Mm. Meaning comes from the acceptance of responsibility. And we live in a society where you don't like you don't have any really traditional responsibilities like you used to. And that's like and, and twelve rules for life, an antidote for chaos. You know who thrives in chaos? Predators. Predators thrive in chaos. And so it's it's I mean, there's so much research that basically shows human beings require some sort of order in order to function properly and thrive. And so like imposing order, like we hate the renunciation of options, but in so doing, we get to impute meaning and we really find a sense of joy. And so I think, again, yeah, there's because people, there's no, and and again, I want to be clear, some of these were oppressive and needed to be removed or certainly expanded. Horizons of Possibility needed to be expanded and opened up. People needed more options than they had available before. But we've so overdone it now that a lot of people are sort of f- floundering. There's mm. sort of like a malaise. It's sort of like a failure to thrive. And you know, like almost eighty percent of the church I pastor is in their twenties. And I just see it see it more than ever. And yeah. um yeah, so I think again And particularly the church, I think
0: with young men. I Oh
1: young uh, men are struggling I, so badly right yeah. now. Yeah.
0: I mean I uh uh, as a single woman, it means I have a lot of other single female friends, and yep. um, and I think what I would say is, you know, it, it's it's not so much that I haven't been able to, you know, find a partner that's compatible with me. It's I can barely think of a single guy I would recommend to a friend. And okay. oh, so hang I've on! Had,
1: now you're getting into it. Oh, oh now so, so, you're going to the place where everybody in my church goes. All oh, the time, which is well, John, sir- get your act together and give us better men.
0: <laughs> oh well, I mean maybe, but I guess what what uh my response often is is, I think it's a discipleship issue. It's um, I think I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I think maybe naturally. Again, these are not my Barna-backed research studies, but mm-hmm. just general observation. Women are a bit quicker to have those relationships, maybe with older women or those discipling relationships, maybe they, it's more acceptable for a woman to have that kind of, or they seek it out more naturally. I don't know what it is, but I don't see maybe that a lot of guys have been well-discipled by older men. And so I've had, you know, in my, this is maybe I'm getting too personal on the podcast, but people will say, oh, Joanna, you're so great. You know, why, you know, why are you single? Or I don't know, well-meaning people who say something. And I'll usually say to these older guys, like, oh, like, can you name a couple younger men, if it's an older man, you know, can you name a couple younger men who you're discipling, who are, you know, becoming ready to be great partners? And like, of course they have no one that they're discipling. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, and not that it's so different for women, but I'm speaking from my perspective. And, and I, yeah. I, uh, I'm sad about it and why I feel so hopeful then for what you're trying to do with things like the intentional father. Um, how do we disciple and raise up young people into adulthood and to take responsibility and to have a sense of their spiritual life, their commitment to the yeah. community, etc. Um, yeah. Maybe that was too much of a you know personal diversion from the real conversation, but no, well, I, I mean, feel it in but, my own life. So it's an interesting no, that's conversation. That's
1: exactly right. If, and if yeah. you feel it, you're going to have an audience that like obviously likes you and resonates with you. And I think your experience is a very shared experience. I think there's there's like a, a sense of frustration and sadness. The frustration is like, yeah, what what has gone wrong for a whole generation of young men? Hmm. And I think yeah, there's a lot, there could yeah. be a lot of sadness and frustration around that.
0: Yeah. And I hope I mean I, I maybe I hesitate and I'm stepping maybe I'm <laughs> I'm, you know, coming back on my own words because uh I don't want it to sound like I'm angry, bitter, you know, all those things that I fear now that people are going to say, oh, you Joanna. Do. It's uh, it's just, it's actually a grief for my brothers um, because yeah. it's not yeah. so much even just like, oh, you know, maybe I'm never to be married and that's fine. Um, but even for my brothers, my friends, you know, I wish I knew a great guy who maybe had nothing for me, but was a great guy for you. I would love to introduce you to a great guy, but it is mm. hard to find them. <laughs> and I feel, I feel the mm. grief for my brothers that they um, they haven't had the thing that you are talking about here, this development of their courage and character at the young age when they most needed mm. it. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm sad about that. So I'm grateful for what you're doing. Is you know the meandering way I'm trying to say it
1: <laughs> one life at a time one life at a time <laughs> yeah
0: you know, I mean maybe maybe as one of the last questions here how has this kind of conversation been received in your church community it's maybe a bit of a filter or a sounding board for the you know gender conversations I think are complex these days
1: mm-hmm. um I would say I mean, part of the challenge is our church is very, very young because Manhattan mm. is very, very young in general. So, you know, so it's a New York is amazing. It says if you, if you're 21 or you have 21 million dollars, there's no place like New York. Mm. Um, it gets a lot harder because I actually was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine. And he's just gotten married and he's in his 30s now. And he said, it's amazing how little New York has to offer for someone in their 30s now. All of the motivational metrics disappear. Because if the next stage is like, hey, maybe we should have kids and it's like why on earth would we want to have them here where it's so expensive and the schools are so challenging and you know, it's kind of like, well, I guess this is why everybody leaves and goes and raises their kids elsewhere. He was feeling that. So my point is we don't have a ton of – teenagers in our church maybe you know i mean post-covid who knows i mean if our church is a thousand people 1500 people we have 20 kids 25 kids teenagers um and uh, the parents in our church are on it i mean they're i mean they're doing an exceptional job i mean i would define I'm thinking, like, I mean, it's so small. I know all the parents, <laughs> you know, mm. and uh, I'm telling you, I would classify every parent in our church as a an intentional parent.
0: Mm. Wow, you know, awesome. so I think that
1: they all have this paradigm, um, and they're really built into it. So the larger conversation, I did a course before I put this book out, called The Primal Path, and it's basically a lot of the content of the book um, came from that course. I've had almost a thousand dads go through that course, so it's like a decent sample size now, and the appetite for it is staggering. like, mm. like I wish, you know, I mean, it'll make me weep if I talk about it too much. I, I just wish you could see the feedback I get from dads and their sons. Mm. It's just the most encouraging, inspiring life-altering stuff. I just show it to my wife with tears running down my cheeks like I can't believe this dad in South Africa is building this relationship with his kid because you know, I threw together this course. I mean, whoever would have thought, but the appetite for it is huge.
0: Yeah. What's the, what is the app? What are they hungry for? If you could use a few words, like it's, they want connection with their kid and they didn't know how to talk to them. Or what are some of those things that, like when you're hearing the feedback, it's what is the puzzle piece? It's, 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 it is
1: mainly, I am stopping generational broke, brokenness flowing into my son. Wow like like I I'm, I'm damming up the brokenness and releasing a new kind of blessing.
0: Hmm.
1: And you know like the great I think one of the like someone said to me recently what's the greatest pain you've ever received in your life? Man, I've been slandered, criticized as a pastor, my wife has wounded me in very very deep ways. Um uh, but nope, I've never experienced pain deeper than my children's rebellion. Hmm. I've ne- my heart has never been so wounded. You, know, you find out your kids are doing crazy stuff. You just want to vomit. You have a physical reaction. So when you realize I am helping my kids have a better future than I did, and I'm not talking materially, um, but necessarily, I'm talking about character and vision and love and boundaries and frameworks and understanding and there's nothing as rich and exhilarating, you know? And, you know, both my kids sent me messages for my birthday today. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these words are coming out of my children's mouth. Mm. Wow. You know, like I don't know what I've gotten right in my life. I don't know what I'll do next. I don't know what mistakes I'll make. But I've got two kids who genuinely love me. And I'm like, gosh, it's almost enough. You know, so I think it's there's some profound thing in a heart that longs for a father's blessing, and and fathers I think long to give the best of themselves to their kids. You know, I mean, like you know, Jung says all all wounds come from two main areas in our childhood: we're not nurtured properly, or we're not protected properly, and so like that's about attachment issues and control issues later in life. And if we can nurture our kids and protect them. So that when they're older they can form healthy relationships and they can face the world with confidence because they're not afraid of everything i mean that's what parents want to do so yeah it's it's touching a nerve i'll tell you this you're the first you're the first interview i think i've done and and i don't think we've sort of gotten into many of the details but the interviews like when we're talking about what happened they normally end in tears like i'm crying the person interviews crying it's because like there's something so such it's a nerve of the soul to have uh, an adult love you and bless you and identify your gifts and call you into the future and challenge you. Like it just it does something like very few other things in life can do, you know? So, yeah, we need to talk about it more. And hopefully, this helps people. Like, my, my goal is to be helpful. And it was kind of weird because, like, I, I, the way I work is I'm sort of like a, a practical theologian. Like, I get into something, I read as much as I can on it, I summarize it into a tool, and then I move on. And I'm like, hey, my kids are both in university. I'm over this, hmm. but I kind of felt like God was like, ah, there's a bit of a need here, so stay mm-hmm. on this theme for a while. And that's ultimately why I wrote it. It touches some deep part of the human heart.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, for those who are par- who are spiritual parents, not hmm. parents, uh, you know, people who don't have their own children but want to raise up the next generation, Mm -hmm. I think there are some markers here as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for even like, I think of like the youth pastor to read this book and, or to consider these concepts of the rites of passage, you know, not, again, not that the institution can replace uh, a father, (laughs) Um, but if it's not happening there, or how can um, the local church help the parents, the single mom, the dad who's trying to figure it out, never had this for themselves. How can we Hmm. help them to do this? Um, And what I love is that what you're talking about too is even if you didn't necessarily receive this yourself, actually can stop there and like you can give this to the next gen.
1: The gift the church has that a lot of people forget about. So the book's called The Intentional Father, but really it's about an intentional community of people rallying around parents to raise their kids in partnership. Yeah. The dream scenario is like a campus ministry and a student ministry in a church and an extended family. Like that sort of a web and integrated relationships, like people in our culture don't have access to that very much. They don't right. have like a conscious community of people geared around a common vision. So the church really has an opportunity to help love our kids differently and distinctly and also to reach out to others who don't have this and welcome them in you know to provide to fill in some of those gaps so I'm basically talking about like a tribe of dads a council of dads not just like the press is not all on like one dad like I gotta get it right or I'm screwing my kid up it's like no hey we're all gonna screw our kids up anyway it's like that's it happens Save money now
0: for their future therapy. Totally.
1: (laughs) And then B, it's like realize it's a community effort and, you know, there's such a role that people can play. I've got a whole chapter on like finding mentors to give your kids what you can't give them.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that's the beauty of the church.
0: Well, I have these vivid memories. I'm the youngest of a large family, and I have these, so I was the last at home. Maybe that means I got a little more attention than in a big family. Mm. Maybe the older ones couldn't have as much attention as I could get by the time I was the only one at home in the end. Uh, But I can remember in high school, uh, like a youth leader would come and pick me up from the house in the suburbs, you know, before I could drive or whatever. And I remember distinctly these moments, my dad or my mom would pass a $20 bill into their hand just to say like, Mm. hey, you're hanging out with my kid. And I know it costs time and money to hang out with my kid. Mm. We can't Mm. do this without you. You know, $20 bill of, you know, 20 bucks doesn't pay for what they're actually doing, but it's a gesture, Mm. right? Yeah, I love that. um, And that they did it in front of me. Um, mm. I needed to see that to know mm. that it was like um it was a mutual it was a community of people who were supporting one another mm. and and in agreement about that um, you know just as a uh, we could have this conversation for a long time there's lots of things we could go into here but just to to wrap up you're talking about courage and character mm. um, we've seen a lot of you know, the lack of that in ourselves. We know it in ourselves mm. and we know it in the stories of the implosion of public leaders around us. Mm. Um, just if you have a word of, a pastoral word for us as we end around, um, I mean, you've said so much in this conversation about how you're doing that. How you're doing your own spiritual formation and how you're trying to offer it to others. But just a pastoral word as we're um, trying to do this journey. Um, those mm. who are listening... Um, to more courage and more character for ourselves and those around us, um, mm. you know how how do you want to leave us?
1: well I mean I, I I think I'd try and leave like what Jesus says in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart of overcome the world mm. and so it's a, it's a sort of like that tragic optimism, you know it's like hey it, it's big. there here's the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. don't be afraid, you know and I would just say, you know, God's commitment to shaping you and walking with you is so far greater than your commitment to him. Don't rely on, don't draw your metrics on your faithfulness. Draw them on God's faithfulness. Jesus never says, remain in how you feel about me. He says, remain in how I feel about you. Remain in my love for you. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, I will be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so I, I would just encourage people, take heart because he is with you and he is for you and he's working in you through the Holy Spirit he's working around you through your experiences he's working in the church to shape you and to form you he's gifted you with supernatural gifts he's wired your personality a certain way and uh, be kind to yourself rely on the love of God and just be faithful over the course of time he will work these things together for good no matter how dark the season so just take heart and keep going
0: John Tyson, birthday boy, thank you so much
1: for ah, being so with much. us.
0: It's a joy. Great to chat. John Tyson, thank you so much. As always, an interesting, intriguing, thoughtful, entertaining conversation. I expected nothing less. So next week, we're going to be staying in New York and we're going to be with Pastor Andy Andrew. We're going to be talking about how the apocalypse is now. And I don't mean some doom and gloom. I mean like the apocalypse is in the revealing. What is being revealed in this time? Uh, We're going to lean into more conversation about the church now and moving forward. We're going to be talking about relationships, especially in this, you know, COVID digital scenario where we're reevaluating a lot of our relationships in the last couple of years why are they so hard how do we do those better so thanks so much to our sponsors compassion canada is back amazing people doing justice work and the church co a website building company you have got to hear about you've got to check out meantime in between this and the next episode with andy andrew i want you to go to our youtube channel to check out tutorials back catalog of podcasts. We're here to help you, encourage you, equip you. And another way we do that is through the Digital Church Facebook group. Come join us over there. We're talking to you every day. All right. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.